You're listening to A Prophet, a collaboration between Sakhlain and Al-Hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhlain.org support. One area the Prophet was very sensitive about was the interfaith area with the Jews and the Christians. The Prophet made it very clear to his companions that you cannot oppress a single non-Muslim person living in the protection of our state. So a Jewish man or a Christian man, even if they're not Muslim, if they're not fighting you, they're not in combat, you don't have the right to kill them. You don't have the right to attack them. Even if this person's cousin or tribe did something to us, if he's innocent, leave him. Or if he's repenting, leave him. One incident happened during the life of the Prophet that really hurt him and that really, really disturbed him. There was a Jewish man, there was a Jewish man, his name was Murdas or Murdas ibn Nahik or Nuhaik. And he came from a Fadaki tribe. So he was known as Murdas al-Fadaki. He was living in a village, probably close to where Fadak is in modern day Hijaz or modern day Saudi Arabia. When he heard the Muslim army approaching his village, he gathered his family, he gathered his children and all of his wealth and belongings. And he went to a nearby hill or mountain and he said to that Muslim army that was incoming, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. See what happened during that year is that many Jewish tribes, they broke the treaty with the Prophet, they conspired with the enemy against the Prophet and they wanted Muslims to be killed. So some of them were evildoers in society. This man when he saw the Muslim army, he declared his Islam. In other words, he was saying, look, I'm at peace with you. I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to conspire against you. Now we don't know what he had done in the past, but the point is he came and he says, I am at peace, please. The Prophet had commanded his companions when they would face such a situation to do what? To kill the person? No. The Prophet told the companions that if there's a person, even if he comes from the enemy tribe, but if he's not fighting you, don't fight him, don't kill him. Well, books of history state that Osama ibn Zayd, he was young, he was a young army commander. When he saw that Jewish man, he struck him with an arrow and he killed him. The Muslim army went back to the Prophet. The Prophet was told that Osama, son of Zayd, killed that Jewish man. The Prophet was extremely disturbed. The Prophet told him, rebuking him, How dare you kill a man? You heard him say the Shahada. How dare you kill him? Osama is justifying his action. He's saying, Ya Rasulullah, he said it just to protect himself from death. 
In other words, Osama's like, come on, he didn't really mean it. He said it just so he avoids being killed. Because he comes from that tribe that had conspired against us. Or he may have done something in the past. Now he's just faking his repentance. He didn't really repent. You know what the response of the Prophet was? The Prophet told him, Did you see what's in his heart for you to make that claim? You didn't accept what he said in his tongue. And as for his heart, you don't know what's in his heart. You should have accepted what he said on his tongue. So the Prophet was really, really disturbed. And he kept rebuking Usama son of Zayd. How dare you kill a man who just repented with his tongue? How dare you do that? Then the Prophet kept telling him, did you know what's in his heart? Did you like open his heart and see what's in his heart? Osama says the Prophet kept saying that so many times to me. I wish I had not become Muslim before that. And I wish I had just become a Muslim that day. So I would not have gone with that army and do what I and, and did what I did. He says the Prophet rebuked me so much, I wish I had not become a Muslim up until that day. So we find that when something wrong happens, the Prophet would, took, would take a firm stance. He would rebuke even if it's his companion. His companion is there to help the Prophet. He's like, here, I'm volunteering. I'll go with this army to ward off the enemy. But if he does something wrong, the Prophet doesn't let it go easily. Question, why didn't the Prophet then punish Osama ibn Zayd? If he unjustly killed that man, why didn't the Prophet then kill him? Retribution. First of all, Islam was in its early stages. You want your people to continue learning. They came from a savage society. You need to give them time to bring a new order. So it's not appropriate for the Prophet to kill him, especially when he had good intentions. They're still learning. Number two, the enemies of the Prophet would have used this as an excuse to weaken the resolve of Muslim, the Muslims. Oh, look at Muhammad. One of his companions made a mistake and he killed him. It's not appropriate. That would have weakened Islam. So the Prophet had to show some tolerance, but he still rebuked him. Number three, maybe that Jewish man had committed a crime. So by the laws of retribution, maybe he deserved to be killed. But the Prophet was rebuking Osama, why didn't you show him mercy? Okay, I know maybe he deserved to be killed, but I am Rasul al-Rahmah, why didn't you show him mercy? Especially when he was saying that I repent, I believe in God, I believe in the Messenger of God, you should not have killed him. So it was not appropriate for the Prophet to have Osama executed, right? Because he has a good intention. But the Prophet rebuked him. And that shows you that the Prophet is the messenger of Rahmah. If this was a king or somebody else, who cares? This guy's from an, uh, he comes from the tribe that's trying to kill me. So what if you killed him? But no, the Prophet made a big deal such that Osama said, I wish I was not a Muslim up until then. See, the Prophet is showing us that when a person repents, he, he takes his hand up and he's saying, I'm not fighting you, accept. Even if you have your own suspicions that he's not honest, fine. You don't know what's in his heart. Allah has not obligated you to go and see what's in his heart. He's saying, I surrender. Don't kill him. You don't have the right to kill him. 
So we find that the Prophet was truly a Prophet of Rahmah. He'd rebuke his own companions when they would do something wrong like that. So this is one example. Another example is that according to the Seerah of Ibn, Ibn Hisham, it narrates that the Prophet prohibited the killing of women and slaves in the battle. He made it very clear. You can't kill a woman if she's there close to the battleground. Because sometimes these men would bring their camps with them and some women would come too. In fact, in fact, some women would encourage the mushrikeen at the battles, like at Uhud. They even brought women, the pagans brought women to motivate them. Yes, go kill, like cheerleading them. You know cheerleaders? <laughs> they would bring women cheerleading them to encourage them and motivate them. The Prophet said, don't kill them. Slaves, slaves who are brought to the battlefield, you can't kill them either. Why? Sometimes the slave, you know, would be in combat. Like he'd have a sword and he's willing to fight. The Prophet says if you, if it's a combat one-on-one, -on -one, like he's coming to kill you, okay, kill him because you have to defend yourself. But if you capture a slave, don't kill him. Even if it's in the battleground, battleground. Why? Exactly, it wasn't their choice. Slaves are forced. If a master owns you from the pagans and he tells you, yalla, you have to come to the battlefield. Like, can you say no? You say no, your head is going to be cut off. See, the Prophet recognizes this, that slaves who came out to fight, it wasn't by choice. They didn't make the decisions. Slaves have no choice but to be dragged. So the Prophet told his companions, don't kill the slaves. Look at the Rahmah of the Prophet. Who does that? Seriously. Have you heard of a king who's treated his enemies like that? I don't care who you are. You're here to fight. I'm going to kill you. The Prophet says no. A slave, a woman, don't kill them. Well, sometimes women would be killed in the battle. Very rarely this would happen. Look how the Prophet would be disturbed. At the battle of Hunayn, the Prophet passed by, he saw a woman that was killed from the enemy side. The Prophet said, what's going on? Who's, what's, what, who's this woman? They said, Ya Rasulullah, Khalid ibn al-Walid killed her. Khalid ibn al-Walid was, was an enemy of the Prophet for many years. Then later, he embraced Islam. He declared his Islam. So the Prophet was told Khalid ibn al-Walid you know, who was one of your companions, he killed her. And the people were just gathered looking, looking at that lady. So the Prophet ﷺ, he said, go to Khalid right now and tell him that he has no right to kill any woman. Make it clear to him. Maybe he didn't hear my instructions. Make it clear to him. The Prophet tells you, a woman, a child, a slave, you don't have the right to kill them. Haram, Allah has not authorized you to do that. So this is another example, the Prophet takes swift action and he makes sure that this doesn't happen. In another hadith that Al-Alam Al-Majlisi narrates in Bihar Al-Anwar, and this is narrated by Muawiyah ibn Abu Sufyan. Yeah, Muawiyah narrates this hadith. Muawiyah says, at the battle of Hunayn, the Muslims were achieving victory and killing the mushrikeen until they captured many of them. At midday, the Prophet made an announcement and he said, I don't want a single captive to be killed. You know, the prisoners of war that you 
capture them, don't kill them. Now the tribe of Hudayl, Hudayl was a tribe that was a pagan and they were anti-Islam. They had sent a spy, his name was Ibn al-Akwa. The year of Fatah Mecca when Allah gave Muslims the victory, they had sent this man to act as a spy. So he came, he gathered intelligence against the Prophet and the Muslims and he went back. Now historically, when you capture a spy from the enemy, what happens to them? They're killed. This was the rules of engagement historically. On the day of Hunayn, at the battle of Hunayn, this guy, this spy Ibn al-Akwa from the tribe of Hudayl, he was captured. Now this guy has blood on his hands in the sense that he took sensitive intelligence and he shared it with the enemy, the enemy used that to kill Muslims. So he had a role in, in the killing of Muslims, like his crime is big, even by international standards it's big. Today if there are some countries, they capture a spy from another country and that spy led to the death of, of some of the citizens of this country, they'll have him killed or a life sentence. So he was captured, Umar ibn al-Khattab passed by him, so he told one of the Ansar, one of the companions of the Prophet, this man was a spy, kill him right now, who, who gave the orders? Umar ibn al-Khattab, so when Umar recognized him, he told one of the men of the Ansar, kill him, this guy is a spy, so the guy, the Ansari, he, that made sense to him, okay Umar is telling me this guy was a spy, he gathered intelligence against us, yeah sure I'll kill him, so he killed him. The Prophet ﷺ came to know about this, the Prophet said, The hadith states he became disturbed and he said, did I not tell you not to kill a captive? He told him, Ya Rasulullah, this guy was a spy, I told you not to kill a prisoner of war. The Prophet was very disturbed, look at his rahmah, this guy was a spy, by the rules of engagement of that time they had every right to kill him, but the Prophet made it clear, no, I am not sent to kill people, I know he's a spy, but I told you very clearly, you spare the captives, don't kill them. So the Prophet rebuked them and he rebuked the Ansar, why did you kill a captive? You don't have the right to kill a captive. Another example of the Prophet's humanity, and this hadith shows you how much the Prophet had respect for the people of the book. Bukhari narrates this in his book. He states that Sahl ibn Hunif, Hanif or Hunayf, and Qais ibn Sa'ad, narrate the following hadith, they state that the Prophet was sitting when a janazah, the dead body of a person passed by him, فقام. the Prophet stood up out of respect for the dead body, his companions told him, Ya Rasulullah why'd you get up? This is the janazah of a Jewish man, why are you respecting a Jewish man? Look at the response of the Prophet, an entire university of human rights lies in this one sentence, 
The Prophet responded two words in Arabic. Okay, I know he's Jewish, but isn't it a soul? Human being who died. I respect the body. So what if he's not Muslim? Isn't it a soul? Allahu Akbar. Look at the humanity in Rasulullah. The world needs to know who this Rasul is. So the Prophet then told his companions that if you see the janazah, even of a Yahudi, get up, show respect, it's okay. See, the Prophet would look at others from the lens of humanity. When we look at people, what kind of identity do we look for? What kind of lens do we look through? Is this a person from my tribe or no? Is this person rich or not? Is this person a doctor or not? Is this See, that's, that's what we look at. Is this person white or black or my color or my race? That's not how the Prophet would look at people. The Prophet looks at people from one lens, the lens of humanity. Isn't he a human? Isn't it a soul? Subhanallah. So we find this great rahmah of the Prophet And that's truly fascinating. I will share with you one other example of the Prophet's rahmah before we conclude this chapter in the biography of the Prophet So remember we were talking about the Prophet telling his companions don't make unnecessary attacks against the, you know, your enemies if they're not directly fighting you. There is something else that Khalid ibn al-Walid did that disturbed the Prophet greatly. And here's the hadith that reports it. Ibn al-Athir narrates this in his book Al-Kamil. And it's about the tribe of Bani Judayma. So basically, year 8 of the Hijrah is when Khalid ibn al-Walid led an expedition against the tribe of Bani Judayma. They were a tribe. Rasulullah had sent numerous expeditions after the conquest of Mecca to invite people to the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Prophet commanded these expeditions not to kill those villages. There were still pagans in the Arabian Peninsula. The Prophet sent these expeditions to invite them to the path of God, not to fight them, to invite them. One of those who were sent in an expedition was Khalid ibn al-Walid. The Prophet sent him just to invite them, not to fight them. So basically, he reached an area called Al-Ghumaysa. And the tribe of Banu Judayma, they lived in that area. Now, the tribe of Banu Judayma, during the Jahiliyyah, they had basically harassed Auf ibn Abd Auf, the father of Abdul Rahman ibn Auf. And also the uncle of Khalid ibn al-Walid, Al-Fakih ibn al-Mughira. He's the uncle of this Khalid ibn al-Walid who was leading the expedition. So they basically harassed them and they took their belongings. Khalid, with the expedition, going to this village, what did he think? Let me seek revenge. This tribe has an issue in the past. Many years ago in Jahiliyyah, they harassed my uncle. They harassed the father of Abdul Rahman ibn Auf. Let me seek revenge from them. When Khalid ibn al-Walid arrived at that village, 
the people of that village, Bani Judaima, they took up their arms. Khalid ibn Walid said, no, take down your arms. We're not here to fight. I'm just here to call you to the message of the Prophet. They believed him. So they put down their arms. Guess what he did? Khalid had them arrested and then one by one they were beheaded. Very treacherous thing that Khalid ibn Walid did. The Prophet was told, Ya Rasulullah, you sent Khalid in that expedition to call them to Islam. You know what Khalid did? He killed a lot of their men. The Prophet raised his hand in dua. This is a Sunni source that says this. And by the way, many Sunnis, they glorify Khalid ibn Walid. Oh, he's a warrior. We the Shia, we curse Khalid ibn Walid because he was an evil man. All along he was an evil man. He was a hypocrite. He would not show. So what did the Prophet say? He raised his hand and he says, Allahumma inni abra'u ilayka mimma sana'a Khalid. Khalid. Oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from what Khalid did. In other words, I condemn what Khalid did. I condemn what Khalid did. I'm, I'm not okay with what he did. Then the Prophet wanted to compensate that tribe. Some of their men were killed, right? By Khalid. The Prophet wants to compensate them. Because what happened was very, very unfortunate. The Prophet sends Imam Ali and he tells them, look, all those men that killed, see how much is the blood money in Arabian society? Because they had a system of blood money, right? The Diya, for instance. Give them, for each man that was killed, compensate them, give them the blood money. And here's the money. Go and see what they need, what was taken from them, what was looted from them, compensate them. Okay, so he went and he gave them that money. Even Maylaghat al-Kalb, Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib compensated them for. Meaning, Maylaghat al-Kalb is a bowl or a plate that the dog eats from or drinks from. They had dogs. Imam Ali even compensated them for that. If a, because of that attack by the expedition, if, if, if one of the plates of those dogs went missing, Imam Ali compensated them. Then, when Imam Ali gave all that money, some extra money was left. The Prophet had given him an amount, so he paid for all the blood money, he compensated them, he still had some extra money. So what did Imam Ali say to that tribe? He told them, هَلْ بَقِيَ لَكُمْ مَالٌ أَوْ دَمٌ لَمْ يُوَدْ The Imam السلام, told him, told them, is there anything that we missed that we need to compensate you for blood money, any objects, any belongings? قَالُوا لَا They said no, you've compensated us. The Imam السلام, says, then I give you this extra money احتياطاً لِرَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَعَلَيْهِ I give you this money extra in case I miss something, just in case. Here's the extra money. He came back to the Prophet, he told him, Ya Rasulullah, I acted on my own. You told me just compensate them for the loss. I compensated them, I asked them anything else, they said no. I still gave them more out of precaution, maybe we missed something. The Prophet told him, Asabta wa ahsant. Yes, Ali, what you did is right. 
Look at the Prophet one of his companions, he goes and he does something wrong. And as, of the, as a result of that, you have to suffer the financial crisis now because you have to compensate them for all of that. The Prophet took responsibility. He says, I will compensate that. Because that Khalid ibn al-Walid, he did it in, in the name of Islam. I need to clear it up. See, this is how the Prophet was. Another hadith states that when the Prophet heard what Khalid ibn al-Walid did, the Prophet started to cry. He's crying over who? Pagans, mushriki, non-Muslims. But because they were unjustly killed, the Prophet cried. He did not, he did not accept that. This Khalid ibn al-Walid was a troublemaker, a big troublemaker, especially after the Prophet passed away. He went and he raided the tribe of Malik ibn Nuwayra, who was a great, great man, a believing man. He had met the Prophet, he was a companion, he would give his zakat to the Prophet. He had asked the Prophet, if one day you pass away, I don't find you, who, who do I give my zakat to? The Prophet said, Ali ibn Abi Talib, he's my successor. So after the Prophet, he came, he wanted to give his zakat, who was sitting on the throne of the Prophet. Not throne, the Prophet didn't have a throne. The pulpit of the Prophet, Abu Bakr. He said, no, I'm not giving it to you. What did they accuse him? Oh, he's withholding the zakat. You're not a Muslim, let's kill you. You're an apostate. You're a murtad. You no longer believe in zakat. No, the Prophet told me you give it to Ali ibn Abi Talib, not you guys. So Khalid went to his village and he deceived Malik. It was the time of Salah, Khalid said, let's pray. Like he cares about prayer. He said, let's pray. What happened? Malik told him, you pray with your men, we'll pray with our men. He said, no, why? You lead us in prayer. Let's have one combined Salah. You be the Imam, we'll all pray behind you and then we'll sort this Zakat thing out. Malik said, okay. Allahu Akbar. In the middle of a Salah, Khalid went up and he stabbed him and he killed him. He's praying, he's praying, the guy's praying. Khalid stabbed him and he killed him. Malik, Malik ibn Nuwayra was known to have a very, very beautiful wife. She was there in that village, in that area. As soon as he killed him, he went inside the tent and he raped her. This guy Khalid, which some of these shallow-minded Muslims, may God be pleased with him. God, God is pleased with these horrific acts. God is pleased with that? Okay, may Allah resurrect you inshallah with Khalid. Inshallah, whatever faith Khalid has, inshallah you guys have. You, you who say radiyallahu an. They know this, yes. Ah, he's a sahabi companion, he has immunity. He can burn the whole planet, he still goes to heaven and I still have to say radiyallahu an. They do it more than Khalid, Muawiyah. Muawiyah, the one who killed tens of thousands of mu'mineen and believers. The one who stood against the imam of his time. Radiyallahu an, radiyallahu an. Most of them, not all of them, but most of them, unfortunately. So he raped the wife of Malik ibn Nuwara, a Muslim, a Muslim wife, he raped her. In any case, they came back to Medina. Omar was furious. He came to Abu Bakr, he told him, this guy Khalid, he committed zina. He committed adultery. We have to punish him. Abu Bakr said, no, I'm not going to punish him. His sword is the sword of God. 
I'm not going to punish him. I would never uh, sheath a sword that God has unsheathed against the enemies. Abu Bakr considered Khalid as a political ally. He's strengthening my power. Any tribe that resists me, he is going to kill them. So he kept him and he forgave. He got away with adultery in broad daylight. Now sometimes, now these days, these days, when you ask some of them, how do you just, yeah, he married her. Really, he married her. To where was the waiting period? Her husband just was killed. That same day he slept with her, he raped her. How did he marry her? What happened to the waiting period? There's something called Udda. You can't. They tried to justify it that way. And then subhanallah, when they beheaded Malik ibn Nuwayra, they put his head in fire to burn it. He had long hair. They put it on fire to burn his head. His head didn't burn. Miracle of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. His head did not burn. One, one historian from the other schools of thought, he comments, because look, this is a miracle that shows you Malik was a believer, because they accuse him of being an apostate, so yeah, he deserved to be killed. So how, why did his head not get burned? So one, one of them comments, he says, yes, Malik had a lot of hair, so his head didn't burn. Can you, can you believe that logic? The first thing that burns is your hair. Like have you seen your hair gets close to fire, you'd see it just melting away. Ah yeah, he had a lot of hair, so his hair saved his head from being burned. Can you, can you believe that logic? They just want a way to justify it, unfortunately. This was, this was Khalid ibn al-Walid.